today on Ag News Daily. Most of that is still sitting on the farms. Some of it never even made it out of the shed to get delivered when and things started to change. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast on this Friday edition. I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I am doing pretty good, Mike. It is Friday. It is sunny outside. It's uh, finally starting to warm up a little bit temperatures-wise, at least here in central Iowa. But as we're going to be talking about later in the podcast, that is certainly not the case when you look up north, especially in North Dakota. Right. And it is wet in a lot of places. I saw that uh, parts of south central, southeast Iowa, northern Missouri hit rainfall records yesterday. I'm driving back across Illinois today. All the rivers are up. I'm getting close to Mississippi right now. And man, I tell you, there is a lot of water, a lot of standing water in the fields. So these heat units are going to be very welcome uh, by a lot of these growers out here who are still trying to get the uh, you know, spring 2020 crops in the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Mike. But uh, let's see, what's going on in your world as far as news is concerned? Well, you know, when we take a look at the world of agriculture, you know, really what's been driving the markets has uh, continues to be energy. Uh, it's crude oil news is mainly what is kind of catching my attention this morning. And we've got prices up today because we are seeing some demand develop on both the retail gasoline side, I'm driving on the interstate, it really looks like it's pre-coronavirus with the amount of cars out here driving and trucks back on the road, but also we're seeing China is increasing their refinery runs of petroleum. So, you know, this is maybe a little bit wishful thinking, but if demand increases in China, remember, it wasn't all that long ago, they were talking about going to an E10 ethanol blend, and then that all kind of got shoved on the back burner, They've been making moves to fulfill phase one of their trade agreement, the $40 billion purchase. Ethanol is dirt cheap. If they're increasing refinery capacity in China, maybe there's some hope there that we could start shipping them some ethanol. That would be the hope. And speaking of ethanol, some ethanol plants are actually starting to very slowly come back online as you know, it sounds like folks are getting out there driving. You're out there driving today. I'll be driving later today. And we're starting to see more cars on the road. So ethanol facilities are slowly, slowly, slowly starting to come back online. And CEO and president of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, told reporters on Friday he thinks the worst may be behind us. And he said that we are starting to see some ethanol plants come back online, seeing some incremental increases in production. And as of Thursday, 56 out of the nation's 204 ethanol plants were running at full capacity. Another 81 plants were running at a reduced rate, while about 67 plants were fully idled. So, All right. yeah, starting to slowly get things back up and running. Yeah, I saw from a, a farmer friend on Twitter over in Indiana that a, a plant that had been idle for, oh gosh, that's nearly the beginning of this thing, uh, bumped their corn bit up 24 cents as they're trying to get back into the market and secure some feedstock. So this could be, uh, I mean, we could be turning a corner. It's tough to get too terribly excited, but uh, good to see some positive news finally working its way back into the markets. Yes, absolutely. And I've got some news out of India. 
you know, a lot of us in rural America in particular have been frustrated by these stay-at-home orders, shelter-in-place orders, you know, all of these government edicts that have come down from on high, but it helps to kind of put things in perspective. Agriculture, as an essential industry, has more or less been able to continue to function. We still have, uh, still have some plants open, you know, we still have processors open, we still can go and get seed, get fertilizer, you know, do it with social distancing, we can get that stuff done. In India, their wheat harvest is underway right now, they are facing a tremendous labor shortage since they introduced their countrywide lockdown back in March to stem coronavirus. And now these wheat growers, remember these are small farmers. These are, you know, not subsistence farmers, but very small compared to a U.S. ag. There are no places to sell grain. Um, the few grain markets that have remained open in rural India are operating with a skeleton staff, they are not putting out many bids. They're not really taking any deliveries. So these wheat farmers are out here trying to get their crop harvested and then they don't know what to do with it. So I just think it kind of puts things in perspective. Agriculture in the U.S. Mm -hmm. is actually doing pretty well compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, I suppose at least we have a marketplace for our uh, our produce and our toils. Right, yeah, exactly. We can we can haul it somewhere for the most part. Uh, well, pork producers expect, accept it mm -hmm. here over the past two months. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of pork producers, got some COVID numbers out here. I was actually just talking to my mom this morning. Uh, our hometown area is, of course, home of the Tyson plant in Columbus Junction, Iowa. And she was saying that they just saw another spike in COVID-19 confirmed cases because Tyson has recently opened back up in that area. And it is confirmed, according to an analysis done by the Environmental Working Group, that those counties containing meatpacking plants and neighboring counties have almost twice the rate of COVID-19 positive cases than the national average. They said that meatpacking counties have reported on average about 373 cases per 100,000 residents. While the national average tends to skew much lower at only 199 cases per every 100,000 residents. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I saw that same study. Who put that together? Food and Water Watch? The Environmental Working Group. Uh, EWG. Okay, I know it was one of those groups. But, um, you know, I, I don't doubt the numbers. I'm sure they're correct. But I wonder if there is some selection bias going on because meatpacking plants have been very aggressive in testing. So, of course, if you test more, you're going to have more positive cases. I wonder if that's a function or I wonder how they controlled for that in the study. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. I mean, I suppose I could go through and read the entire study. I could also send it to you if you actually uh, care to read it. But that's a good question. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I read through it yesterday and I didn't I didn't see any evidence of them attempting to control for that data. They're just baselining it all on a per 100,000 population basis, which is fine, but I, I think it overlooks some key information. Anyway, yeah, it's interesting, and we know they are hotspots. Yes, they indeed are. Well, oh gosh, we've got some news out of Brazil. JBS, the biggest meatpacker in the world, announced earlier today they did uh, not quite an earnings call, but they did a, basically a call for investors in, in a news press release kind of deal. They said they expect, quote, enormous volatility over the next 12 months in both the prices they're paying on farms for, uh, for 
products, both pork and beef, and incredible volatility at the retail space as basically the supply line tries to figure out where all of this food should be going and what the prices should be. So if JBS is making that announcement, you know, it comes on the heels of Tyson's quarterly earnings coming down. These uh, meat companies really are, are struggling as well, granted, not nearly as badly as the, uh, the American farmer, Brazilian farmer, but uh, you know, this pain is widespread, Delaney. Yeah, it certainly is. And actually, uh, speaking on that and in the spread of COVID-19 even, and looking still at Brazil, I found this interesting article today. I'll have to be sure and share it on our Facebook page, but it's looking actually at two different factors that maybe at first glance don't really connect with one another, but they go on to explain how they do. So this article focused on deforestation going on in Brazil and also the indigenous people and indigenous lands in Brazil. They put together a study, let's see, the National Institute for Space Research put together a study looking at the deforestation going on in Brazil and how that is tied to COVID-19. We have seen deforestation advancing at record levels in the Brazilian Amazon, increased in the first four months of 2020, 59% year over year as they are chopping down trees, they are turning those indigenous lands into potentially some new farmable grounds and along with that I thought that this was interesting the people that live in these areas the indigenous Brazilian people have now been exposed to COVID-19 even living in some of the most remote places in the country country interesting so basically the thought is that the folks doing the deforestation are introducing covid into these yeah yeah i suppose that would be one way to explain it yes huh well you know i i don't think we should be shocked given the demand that uh, brazil saw for their farm products after we embarked on our trade war with china and china moved all their purchases to brazil you know a, a lot of us called for the fact that we are going to see more acres come into production down there in south america and now it's sadly being confirmed. Yeah, but being confirmed at such record rates. I mean, I think usually on average, Brazil is turning 1% to 3% of their forest ground into farmable ground. And, and you know, 59% in the first four months here of getting trees and stuff chopped down, that seems like, you know, this year is going to be a much quicker pace. Well, now, is it a 59% increase over last year, or have they chopped down 59% of their trees? No, you're right. It's a 59% increase over last year, but, I mean, even still. Yeah, that's getting it done. They said... Amazing what you can do with a bulldozer or two tractors and a chain. Yeah, so they said, here's a a better way to put that into, I suppose, a, a number we can all imagine. They said that in the first four months of 2020, they've chopped down the equivalency of about 1,800 football fields worth of forest ground. So 1,800 acres, roughly. Yeah. Well, is a football field one acre? Close to it. Okay, then yes. Well, that doesn't seem like very many, 1,800 acres. I mean, yeah, I guess not. Uh, But, you know, it's still 1,800 new acres into production. Exactly. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I'm all out of news. Do you have any other stories before you read the markets today? I don't think so. Let's take a look and see where the markets left us. And finally, we are starting to see a little support in the grain markets today as the 
July corn contract finished up two cents to end at 319 and a half. The September up just three quarters of a cent to close at 322 and three quarters. The soybeans finished up but just barely on the day with the July adding on slight gains up a quarter of a cent to close at 873 and a quarter. The August up a quarter of a cent as well to close at 839 and a quarter. Wheat sagged lower on the day as a July contract lost two and a half cents to close at 4.99 and three quarters. The September lost three, excuse me, two and three quarters cents to close at 5.02 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets. The cattle complex was in the positive today as the June cattle contract put on $2.87.5 to close at $97 even. The August up 82.5 cents to close at 97.82 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the May contract added 92.5 cents to close at 124.72.5. The August up two cents on the day to close at 131.07. In the lean hog markets, weakness for the day as the June contract shed 87.5 cents to close at 57.87. The July down $1.05 to close at 57.75. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 Dairy Milk Futures, May contract shed 24 cents on the day to close at 12.24. The June up 75 cents on the day to close at 16.85. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation with Certified Crop Advisor, Jason Hansen. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting the Ag News Daily podcast, I'm actually helping out with Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's episode, we talk with the new chair of Iowa State University's Department of Animal Science, who also happens to be the host of RFD-TV's popular Doc Talk program. We also chat with Iowa Farm Bureau President Craig Hill, who fills us in on the most pressing needs he's hearing directly from farmers as he's conducting listening sessions around the state. You'll also want to check out a special one-on-one -on -one interview we did with Senator Chuck Grassley on April 27th, featuring his latest insights on current and future COVID-19 relief. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com podcast. Well, for today's Friday conversation, we are joined by Jason Hansen, owner of Rock and Roll Agronomy. He's a consultant, he's a CCA, and he is on Twitter. If you guys want to follow along, we're talking today specifically with Jason about a recent video he put out on Twitter. Jason, before we get to talking about that video in particular, I wanted to ask your update, your opinion on what's going on right now in North Dakota and to share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been uh, in the ag business since 1992 in a number of, I've uh, been in ag retail, I've been a crop consultant. I've worked for uh, companies as a technical agronomist, and now I'm I'm on my own, and I kind of an independence. I have farmer clients I consult with. I also have ag retailers I contract with, so I get to see quite a bit of the state. 
And um, of course we had a very wet fall. We had a blizzard that came in last year on the 11th of October and, and a lot of moisture during the fall. And that has really put us in the position that we're in now. And that is we are behind in planting uh, statewide, although it's worse in the eastern part and particularly the south central southeastern part. And I mean, there's crop in the ground out west and there's crop up, but it is it is delaying everything. We can't mm -hmm. seem to catch a break. So I just put out its piece because it seems like everybody um, last week, people were still, hey, you know what, it's going to change. And it kind of, we got some rain and uh, snow actually last weekend and the moods really changed. And these fields are where it's wet, it's extremely wet. So I just put something together, threw it out on Twitter and boom, it just kind of took off. Well, and that's the thing with these wet fields, with the inability to dry down. And, I, and I've heard some growers that are still struggling to get crop out. I mean, now we're up to prevent plant dates, which I know was something you covered in your video. For our listeners, what does the timing for prevent plant look like up there in North Dakota? So we got, uh, I'll take, uh, say corn, for instance, we're, we're going to be for the most of the state crop insurance is May 25th and uh, there's still corn out 2019 crop that's out and uh, where people got corn off in say March, that was a good thing because you can't go get in those fields right now. And we, our biggest issue is we, we haven't had a terrible amount of rain. We just have had no heat. We cannot string, let's see, we had today the sun is out, it's gonna be 64. Tuesday the sun was out. And, and Monday wasn't too bad, but we got moisture in that time frame. So people are trying to get to corn in particular, but uh, I was out in the western part of the state, there's still Durham and spring wheat out that people were taking here a couple weeks ago. I, I drove by on the way home soybeans and edible beans that were still out and that was just caught from the snow but because we haven't had any heat the frost is coming out so slow that probably the biggest issue is that it's bringing moisture to the surface not only in the fields but all of our township roads so these roads are in terrible condition and you just don't some of the fields you don't want to go to because you need to get to it but you know you're going to wreck the road and you're just going to wait because you don't want to be that person that does that for all the rest of the neighbors. So everybody's in this, Hey, we got a, we got an early spring. I do a lot of ice fishing. Our ice came off devil's lake a lot sooner. We thought, here, here we go. We're going to get this early spring. That's exactly what we needed. And we just have not been able to turn up the heat. And so coming out of COVID, you did not, you spent too much time waiting. And the worst thing you can do in ag, it seems is to wait. And that's what we're doing. So everybody's getting super anxious and, and nervous. Yeah, I mean, talking about those roads in particular, I've seen quite a few pictures tweeted out and shared of, and, and even some aerial shots of just how much water and snow there still is up there. But Jason, I, I have a question that I've been kicking around and discussing, and nobody really seems to know the answer yet. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But for those folks that still have 2019 corn crop left in the field or are harvesting it now in 2020 and are probably going 
to not be able to get to planting a crop this year, are those folks eligible to take prevent plant on those acres that they are now harvesting in twenty nine in twenty twenty? Yeah, that's that's a question where it. Uh, I I think you hear stories from different people, and then it's relayed. You kind of hear what they want to hear. So personally, I don't. I couldn't tell you that. Uh, I think that. Most of those acres in this state go to soybeans. Uh, there will be some edibles, some canola, but mostly soybeans. Um, I don't know if some of those fields can get planted. And if they could, and you just didn't want to look at where the price of soybeans were. And I think there's, there's more talk about it. But I'm not sure if you, are, you can or can't on that deal. It's, it's kind of a gray area. I've heard a lot of stories, but so I just kind of listen and see what has been the most popular and there really hasn't been any consensus. Yeah, a lot of questions coming up this year, that is for sure. Jason, when you talk to growers out there, particularly in that eastern and, and southeastern parts of the state, are they are they hanging on to seed to wait and see until we get to that prevent plant date and start kind of chipping down that uh, you know those numbers, or are they going ahead boxing stuff up and sending seed back already? Seed is already being sent back. There is quite a bit of corn that uh, it either went, it, it got delivered. The retailer was very organized, got stuff delivered. Most of that is still sitting on the farms. Some of it never even made it out of the sheds to get delivered when and things started to change. So my forecast is there's a couple days of rain early next week. I think that will end it. I met with some crop consultants this week on Monday. Um, and we, we just discussed that we probably are going to have a lot more time to do other things this summer because the, the corn acres were going to be dramatically reduced. We, uh, there was three consulting groups in there. I was one, two others. There's probably my estimate, 250,000 acres of contracted scouting and consulting acres. And at this point, only 5,000 acres have been seeded. So that's 2%. And so you're kind of in, we're in central, north central North Dakota. And that's uh, that's the big concern. But if we get going, it goes fast and everybody's going to be itching to go. But at this point, we are extremely behind. Yeah. And Jason, I want to talk a little bit more about the video that you made. Walk us through some of those numbers that you shared on your Twitter video in case some of our listeners don't have Twitter and aren't able to watch this for themselves. How did you go about collecting that data and looking at the prevent plant acres that we've had here over the past 10 years at, at varied increments? Sure. So at this stage of the season, I shouldn't be making Twitter videos, but there was nothing else going on. And I was sitting down and most of the conversations that I've had with fellow consultants or retailers or farmers is that they, re they remember 2013. And so that kind of was kind of the comparison. So I just went into USDA and looked up North Dakota's years where they had reported preventive plant. And so in 2013, we had 3.75 million. And, but then I thought, okay, let's go and compare July futures for May. So May of 2013, yeah, we were at 7.16 for corn and 14.63 for soybeans and 6.83 for wheat. 
So then I pulled up the pricing of the July futures for the day I did the video and corn was 316. So there was there was four dollars difference right there, bushel. Beans were eight forty, so six bucks and, and wheat was like five oh six, so a dollar seventy-five. So that is that's the in 2013 you had an incentive to try to get something in because even if your yields were reduced with late planting, you could still do okay. That is not the case this year. And so that is if you are in a tough spot and you're, you're looking at, do I take preventive plant? And we've had a lot of preventive plant in North Dakota. Um, 2011 was our biggest year at 5.6 million acres, but there's always some people don't like to do it because it's just, if you get the wrong type of year, which we kind of, you get back to backs, it just keeps going and the, the ground stays wet. So you gotta, we don't, you have a lot of tile ground in the eastern part of the state and some scattered here and there. I, I would anticipate this year is going to be a very large cover crop renewal of trying to get stuff seeded on these acres to try to dry it out so we can tackle 2021. Well, and Jason, I mean, that brings up an interesting agronomic point for prevent plant acre. You'd have to have something on that ground to keep it in place. And up there in North Dakota, especially with the wetness, are folks probably just going to end up flying on some kind of a, a rye mix or something? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, there will be, there'll be uh, stuff that'll be flown on. I think there'll be a lot of stuff that will get sprayed and control the weeds, and then we'll get probably pro-tilled or self-herded, and then they're going to go in and seed something to try to dry that out more. Um, right now, people know um, my brother farms, he's probably 2,200 acres. We didn't get anything worked. And that's the biggest issue is that most of the state did not get anything worked. So it's, you're not evaporating off any moisture. So you're not going to see much field cultivation. You're going to see more vertical tillage. and that's going to be you're not going to you're not going to have any weed control if you can get out and get stuff done i don't know i've walked in some fields and it is very soft so we're going to need a lot of warm days to help us out and jason i have one final question as you're looking at those period of time this period of time while we're waiting to see things warm up in that part of the country is there a date that's kind of like a point of no return for north dakota farmers I think after last year, it's, it's stuck in people's mind. That's why you have most of the corn coming back. This feels a lot like 2019. And that is on top of mind. June 1 is kind of that date. Once you get into that time period, you, you almost have to have a, a cool season for barley and wheat and canola and, and things. So once you get to that spot, that's kind of, we know we're going to be reduced yields on, on everything. So, gotcha. Well, Jason, our heart goes out to you folks up there in North Dakota, parts of South Dakota. I know we're in the same boat. Jason Hansen, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. I appreciate the uh, interest and uh, good luck, everybody out there, and uh, have a safe uh, spring. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jason. If you folks are on Twitter and would like to watch Jason's video, his Twitter handle is at rock, the letter N, roll. And 
agronomy without any vowels in it. So we'll uh, be sure to retweet that video on our Facebook and, excuse me, on our Twitter page at Ag News Daily. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough situation up there for sure, but we know farmers across the country are dealing with the varying levels of tough situations this year, not least of which, of course, are the markets, which folks can always get caught up with, and if they stick around on Monday, we'll dive into the markets in detail with a very talented analyst. Until then, folks, while you're cruising around this weekend, check out our website at agnewsdaily.com. You can uh, get caught up on past episodes. And as Delaney's mentioned, check out our Twitter feed, check out our Facebook page, and the Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.